Hello and welcome to the new episode of Women in Customer Success podcast, the first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. I'm Maria Scovepile, your host, and you are listening to episode number 13. If you like this podcast, there are three things you can be doing today. Number one, go to womenincspodcast.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you don't miss out of the episode. Second thing, while you're on the website, reach out and suggest a guest. Although I've been getting many individual requests, I'm really interested to hear from you and whom would you like. And finally, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. In today's episode, I'm talking to Sama Hafiz, customer success leader currently holding a position of senior director at Insight Partners. We're talking about a very exciting topic, empathy in customer success. Sama is sharing her view on empathy, what it is, and what are some practical tools to help you practice empathy with clients. And Sama is also sharing her career story and tips on navigating bro culture and making yourself invaluable for your team. So let's go to the main part of the show and hear the conversation I had with Sama Hafiz. I'm very happy to welcome Sama Hafiz, customer success leader today on the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Uh, So why would we start by you telling us a bit more about your background and your career journey? What brought you to customer success? I stumbled into customer success, in all honesty. You know, I don't think it's a profession or an area of expertise that as a young college student I had heard about or knew anything about. But as luck would have it, after starting a career in international development where I worked abroad with various multinational organizations on social impact and justice issues such as rural finance, poverty alleviation, women's health, microfinance, livelihoods, I got married, found love, and moved to San Francisco, where I now suddenly had to either create an opportunity for myself or find another opportunity for myself. And wanting to really stay true to my values, you know, I started to look for opportunities that would allow me to continue to work with communities and build relationships and build trust. And I actually started off at a marketing technology company in the Bay Area as a customer support rep, very quickly moved through the organization and graduated there as a senior customer success manager. Uh, I think at a time when customer success, as we know it or understand it today, was really in its infancy and kind of maturing and evolving out of a more transactional account management paradigm and into what I think is now a very large, flourishing, well-established professional path. And I've now held customer success roles at three technology companies. The first, as I mentioned, in marketing technology, uh, a SaaS company based in the Bay Area called Bright Edge. Following that experience, I moved to healthcare, where I worked uh, in Miami for a company called CareCloud, which is a practice management electronic health records solution and had an, you know, an opportunity to really learn the ins and outs of our current healthcare system and you know which is transitioning from a fee for service to a value-based outcome centered model very similar to what we've been trying to transition towards within customer success as a profession itself so a lot of parallels there and then most recently was hired as the first female and customer success executive at Thought Industries which is a learning technology company that is trying to make learning more 
more accessible and easier to deliver to students through educators across the world. It's a little bit about me. Thanks for that. Thanks for sharing. You know, it seems that this journey from customer success to customer executive wasn't long, actually. So I wonder, do you have any tips for others who are looking to go from, you know, CSM into executive role? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, women were not often invited to a conversation or offered a seat at the table. Although I think, again, I think that we're starting to see more and more women being represented in management and executive roles. But as some of the statistics you had mentioned earlier on when we were chatting one-on-one, you know, I think leave a lot to be desired. So I think that one common challenge that I self-imposed in each of my roles was sort of forcing and thrusting myself into some of the more male-dominated circles or spaces or rooms, uh, and frankly, just approaching people and inviting myself to the conversation. And often doing that, not in a threatening way, but trying to bring, you know, important data or insights to bear that maybe somebody else had not shared or thought of or invested the time in extracting. And so trying to, you know, use also the the power of empathy, which I had mentioned is a an area that I think is an overlooked skill within customer success, but really trying to understand the motivations and fears and anxieties of the people around me and working to help them address those and empowering them. And by empowering them and understanding them, being able to bring a little bit more visibility to the work that I was doing and could do. I think a combination of that and also, frankly, being maniacally focused on results. I think that often, rather than validating male perceptions about women, women tend to be seen as emotional. And to be honest, frankly, I don't think that's the case. I think that women are often quite rational and clear-headed and yeah, we're constantly being presented with that stereotype. And in focusing on results, I always felt like it was a very easy way to cut through the noise. And, you know, as you're driving outcomes for your customers, hitting or exceeding your numbers, I think that you're starting to make it very clear that you're an invaluable asset. And, you know, without your presence, you know, the the company would be unlikely to achieve those targets or drive the kind of NPS or customer satisfaction or renewal performance that they're seeing. And so you have to start to invite yourself to those spaces and I think fill some of the the voids that you're seeing rather than expecting someone to fill them for you. I love your tip. You need to present yourself as an invaluable member of the team. That's a good one. As you said, women often don't get a seat at the table. Why is that so? And what would be those places where those conversations happen and women are not around? And also, due to the recent shift to remote work, how could women take part in those conversations now? I think that remote makes it easier, frankly. Often SaaS organizations, particularly kind of in sales and customer success, I think a lot of the conversations are happening over happy hour or the golf course or at the gym, over conversations that revolve around sports. And a lot of women aren't necessarily interested in kind of your bro club fraternity set of activities. And there's a need, I think, for organizations and for to understand that people are going to come in with different and varied interests depending on the cultural, ethnic, social diversity that they bring to the table and having, you know, creating spaces where they're allowed to be themselves and not force fitting themselves into having to suddenly love football or become an expert at golf or keep up with sports news almost as a full-time side job in order to build social capital and build relationships. And, you know, I think that that 
is something that I pushed very hard against. Obviously, you know, it actually happens in customer um, relationships as well, where often the small talk that we engage in at the beginning of every call or conversation or on-site is often very sports-centered. And it's not to say that I don't like sports, but I know that a lot of people don't and feel like they don't bring anything socially valuable to the table and aren't able to build that relationship. But the good news is that you can, and it can happen at a deep level by inviting people one-on-one to share a drink with you or a meal or taking the time to maybe research them online, find out what they're interested in, or, you know, committing small acts of kindness and service, and then opening dialogue through those avenues. So offering to print something out for them, or in this online world, maybe taking something off their plate on a day that's maybe heavier or more challenging than usual. So those are some of the ways that I think um, I've historically been able to move past some of the, the social roadblocks. But in this remote world, it's so much easier because you can invite yourself to anyone's calendar. And we we know that folks, for the most part, are at home. They're not going anywhere. They're not traveling. You know, historically, customer success executives and managers and leaders have traveled for a significant portion of their role. The on-site experience has been a an incredible means to build long-term relationships that aren't so transactional. So I think that it's become easier, if anything, to, to be able to you know create more, I think, gender equitable spaces for both women and men to engage on a deeper, broader level. Sama, you gave some very good examples of what women can actually do to be invited to the conversation and to take a seat at the table and show their value. But Do you think your male colleagues were doing the same or were they just part of the clubs anyway? Yes and no. I think that there is a very, or historically, again, I think that some of the norms are changing in very healthy ways, but this notion of a very archetypal, specific male executive or leader who possesses a certain type of machismo, is gifted and talented at a very specific set of sports activities, is overconfident, overzealous, doesn't, I think, succumb to, you know, the fragile or vulnerable characteristics or emotions um, of a woman. And I think that creating a male paradigm like that is destructive because then men themselves don't feel like they have a safe space to air their concerns or be themselves. And if you as a male don't, again, maybe fall into society's definition of what a male should look like or act like or sound like or be like, then, you know, I think that creates a set of insecurities that project outward and affect team dynamics, customer dynamics, and overall can actually impact performance and hinder your ability to achieve outcomes. So I think it's equally important for us to acknowledge that women don't need to be like men and men don't need to be like women, that each of us need to come to work as individuals and have the opportunity and the space to become as who we are and to engage in, I think, healthy non-gendered dynamics. And again, at, at an individual level, you own your own performance. And if there are roadblocks to performance, then you know that's hopefully that's something that you can work through your manager or HR to resolve. But, you know, I think I think that would be my answer to that question. That's cool. And definitely what you bring to the table is that notion of empathy for your customers. I think that there was more conversation about empathy in the recent months due to the whole environment that all our customers and 
ourselves we have been. So what is your notion of how do you actually define empathy? How would you tell someone what does empathy means and how do you develop it? What do you do with empathy with your customers? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm sure there's so many different definitions of empathy out there, but I think that researchers would agree that empathy generally be characterized into what's known as commonly emotional empathy versus cognitive empathy. Uh, Emotional empathy, being able to perceive another person's feelings. Um, So if you're sad or upset or excited or nervous or anxious, just being able to perceive that you might be feeling that way versus cognitive empathy seeks to understand why you're feeling that way, what may have triggered you or, you know, what might be kind of the underlying set of circumstances or factors that are driving some of your emotions or your behavior. And, you know, an increasingly fractured world, I think empathy is the currency that we all need right now. You know, there's this unfortunately common phrase that's thrown out, which is, you know, it's not personal, we're just talking business. And ultimately, business is personal. You know, our interactions tend to happen one-on-one or in small group settings for the most part and in customer success where, you know, our focus is on sustaining a recurring revenue relationship with a customer. Transactional relationships don't build trust. They don't create loyal, satisfied customers. And so, you know, empathy can be applied in very practical ways in a customer success setting to actually drive outcomes. So I would, you know, challenge also the notion that empathy is a personality trait or characteristic. It's a skill. And some of us might out of the gate, you know, possess more or less of it. But the good news is that it's actually a skill with, you know, I think proven practices and methodologies that can work. And we can all do our part in cultivating more of it. And at a personal level, if you're looking for a very selfish reason to invest in building or cultivating this skill. The good news is, again, I think the research has shown that not, you know, empathy drives personal success, team success, professional success, and in this context, customer success. And, you know, who doesn't want to build a better relationship with their colleagues, with their employer, with their customers, with their community? I think that ultimately it's a great pathway to earning more, to being able to get promoted through an organization, and ultimately to also finding more purpose and value in the work that you're doing. And I can give you lots of more practical, concrete examples, but I'll kind of leave it at that. I was waiting to hear, you know, one or two cool, juicy ones, how you can practice empathy on a daily basis with the customers. Yeah. So I'll just give you an example. Um, in customer support, you know, you're working through a queue of tickets and often how you treat your last customer of the day is very different than how you treated your first customer of the day, right? I mean, one thing to acknowledge is that we only have you know, a certain reserve of empathy in any given day. And so, you know, you'll find towards the end of the day, you're exhausted, you're emotionally drained, you know, it's hard labor. So an example on a, that I think is commonly cited in escalations is, you know, I spoke to the customer support rep and she made it seem like it was my problem and not a problem that she was willing to address or solve. So that's sort of somebody else's problem mindset where you almost blame the customer <laughs> for the problem that they're trying to address. It just doesn't get you very far and ultimately leads to, you know, a, a poor outcome for the customer and likely a poor outcome for you. And, you know, I think that's a negative example of how empathy might play out in 
you know, a live customer scenario. But on, conversely, I think that, you know, if you execute a really strong internal handoff from sales to customer success, acknowledging and understanding that, you know, the sales rep has gone through a really long and intimate sales cycle with the customer. And the last thing that the customer wants to do is have to start from zero. So you, the customer success manager, and hopefully, you know, along with the sales rep, are investing the time to understand their business, their motivations, who they are, and then you know being able to seamlessly begin where the sales rep left off. I think that is a great way to demonstrate empathy for the customer. You're not wasting their time taking all the documentation that you've produced up until that point and you're reading through it. So you're basically showing up to say, look, I've done my part to understand your business, who you are and what motivates you. And, you know, I think that is a great example of empathy playing out in a positive way that will hopefully yield a better result. And we all know how important onboarding is to setting the right stage for the the future of the customer's journey at a company. So let's have a scenario. I could say that I'm empathetic with my clients. I really get the pain they're feeling and I would definitely feel the same in their shoes. So from my perspective, I think that they are right. And and then I'm trying to pull all the strings necessary internally to get to the resolution and the help that clients need. And then I would think that everyone else would, of course, do the same because all the other departments should also be invested. But obviously, from the business perspective, giving services and things for free, it's not always feasible. So my question really is, how do you draw the line between being genuinely empathetic and wanting to do whatever needs for the client, but also doing the right thing for the business? It's a really great question. And I think a hot debate in customer success. So I think that I don't think the customer is always right. (laughs) But I do think that being empathetic is showing up, actively listening, taking notes, asking open-ended questions, giving them the space to vent and air how they feel, and taking it upon yourself to validate and reflect back what they're telling you. So I think that's the first step. But in trying to address their problem, I think that you have to assume that you don't have all of the facts and that the customer may not have all the facts. Often customers um, or an individual user is operating in a team-based environment as well. And maybe the issue that's surfaced or the challenge that they're having is born out of maybe an action that someone else took. And so as a customer success manager, your job is to go do that deep digging and problem solving. If you need to align internally, then do that. And once you've kind of gathered all the facts, presenting, you know, hopefully a compelling case uh, internally or externally to the customer to make your point. I think that that's kind of how you toe the line. But, you know, I think you have to focus on the outcome. Ultimately, that customer also wants the problem to be solved. And that typically triumphs their need to be correct, if you will. I can see that the empathy in customer success has become much more prominent topic recently since the pandemic started. Well, in recent months, especially during the European lockdown, we all were able to practice empathy on different ways than previously. So at the beginning of calls, instead of some potential sport, small talks, we heard from clients about the age of their children, how they're managing, what are the childcare arrangements during the day with some family members, how kids are coping, being away from friends, and so many really nice, very family-oriented conversation that probably we wouldn't have a chance to talk about anytime 
prior the pandemic. So empathizing was just so natural, not only for us, from, from client side as well, because everyone were in the same situation. I do see the empathy being a much bigger trend since pandemic, or maybe it's just much more prominent in the media around us. But what would you say? How was it previously? Yeah, well, I think it depends on the organization and the team. I think that empathy starts top down. If you have an empathetic set of leaders at your organization, then you know, that type of currency is likely to trickle down. And if you don't, then a lot of that negative emotion or behavior or some of those knee-jerk type of dynamics will also trickle down. I do think you're right in saying that, you know, the the pandemic and a lot of the grassroots movements that we're seeing today are forcing people to reflect on their inherent biases and then kind of check them at the door. And I think that that's certainly healthy. But empathy, unfortunately, is sort of seen as a, again, a personality trait possessed by, quote unquote, soft, caring, sensitive women, if you will. And it's not something that's seen to be a cultivated, I think, skill that's required at every level within an organization. We're not measured on it. It doesn't come up in performance reviews. I think where it does show up in the customer success world is through NPS scores and customer satisfaction. Often the emotional sentiments of your customers can be read through those comments. And I think that through some of the CS communities that I'm a part of, there's an increasing awareness and desire to actually dig deeper, understand some of the more emotive sentiments of customers. And as you're trying to build, reduce your cost to acquire a customer, build customer loyalty, create success stories. I do think that, you know, our ability to be understanding, empathetic is yielding results increasingly in some of those facets and domains. But I think we could be more intentional about how we measure how empathetic our processes, our systems, our you know teams and our people are. And I would say that we need to go beyond expecting service reps, customer service or customer success managers to do all the emotional labor. I think that there's a huge burnout rate within customer success. Customers often contact you or email you when they need something from you or when something isn't going well. They rarely call you to tell you how wonderful of a job that you're doing. So you're often our folks are emotionally drained and they're wearing a lot of different hats. So given that the burnout rate has remained high and now with the, the increasing unemployment everywhere, I'm sure that CSMs are doing the jobs of more than one person at the moment. Not the case everywhere, but I know a lot of SaaS companies did go through a round of layoffs. I think it's still an area of opportunity for most companies. And I think it could be a huge differentiator. People want to work for more empathetic organizations and managers. And there's, again, that very common adage, you know, people don't remember your actions, but they remember how you made them feel. And I think that's true. And I think more and more teams and SaaS companies could better serve their employees and their customers by adopting a more empathetic approach. So what's your advice how to promote and increase awareness of empathy within your organization? I think that, um, again, it has to be kind of a core value and strategy. It needs to be part of I would even argue like the board strategy. And I think it's something that needs to be measured. And you can measure it by the number of activities or training opportunities that you offer your teams, right? So examples of, I think, workouts that you can do in the empathetic gym or in the empathy gym are, you know, role-playing, being able to go beyond small talk, identifying your inherent biases. I think learning to speak, you know, in a language that a customer can understand. 
right? So often when we're coming into an enterprise level customer environment, we're speaking at a very high technical advanced level because often that our customers, that's where they're at. And sometimes we make the mistake of bringing in that same dynamic into a small SMB type of environment or dynamic. And those customers are just on different stages of the maturity journey. And so that, you know, again, I think that's a poor, you know, a lack of empathy being showcased in, in that type of scenario. I think also being able to cultivate an imagination, understanding their business, working on drafting or practicing live conversations, building success plans. I think that there are a lot of different ways that you can practice empathy. Ford had this really interesting approach to designing some of their cars several years ago where they had male engineers wear something called the empathy belly, which is like, I don't know, some sort of like means of mimicking the, you know, a pregnant woman's experience driving a car. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that was a really interesting approach. I think that the empathy belly, like it kicked and, you know, experienced the little tremors and <laughs> like <laughs> things like that. But I'm not suggesting anyone do that. And I don't know if the research, you know, has yielded any positive outcomes reports. So, you know, don't hold me to this. But I think, again, trying to, live in your customer's shoes for a second or a moment takes, I think, active role-playing and training and practice. It doesn't come naturally to anybody or maybe just a far few of us, but I think something that needs to be practiced and cultivated. And I think you can do that, but it just needs to be intentional. It needs to be an effort that's measured. Who do you admire in business? Do you have any role models? That's I has too many, too many to name to be to be honest. But I think, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, one company that stands out is Zappos. I don't know if you've ever ordered shoes off of Zappos, but they have somehow managed to hire the nicest, most charismatic service reps who really want to help you find the right pair of shoes. I mean, the the number of times that I've spoken and had a, a positive experience with a Zappos or a service rep, and I guess I'm revealing how many shoes I might potentially have in my closet right now, but I consider that such a positive experience. You know, it builds brand loyalty. I order all my shoes off of Zappos, and it's probably has something to do with the fact that, you know, I love their service reps. And they engage beyond small talk. They want to know why you're looking for a pair of shoes, what you're planning to wear it with, whether you have any I've, I've someone once asked me if I had any ever experienced foot pain or had any you know previous injuries and so I I think Zappos is one that comes to mind more recently but there are so many other brilliant organizations that are I think starting to adopt a customer first mentality by raising the standards for what it means to deliver a positive experience what book would you recommend as a must-have for aspiring customer success leaders you know what there is a wonderful book for folks that especially are figuring out what management paradigm to adopt there's a book by david marquette called turning the ship around and it's a book about an ex-navy submarine captain who turned the worst performing fleet in the navy into the best performing fleet in the Navy. And it's a book worth checking out. But essentially, he talks about shifting kind of a traditional hierarchical approach, which sort of sees managers as at the top and employees at the bottom, or kind of that traditional leader follower mentality or model into what he calls like a leader leader mentality or model, which involves bringing decision making to the level or down to the level 
at which people actually possess that expertise. So if you are building a house, rather than having the, you know, the chief architect or designer call all the shots, making sure that the electrician provides input and makes decisions on kind of like the electrical wiring of the home or that the plumber provides input and expertise and makes decisions on plumbing infrastructure. And I think in every organization, I think leadership is something that you do. It's the way that you act and it's the expertise that you bring to the table. This has been great. So thank you for coming to the show. Thanks so much for inviting me. Look forward to having future conversations with you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, I'd like to hear from you. So do get in touch via LinkedIn, Instagram, and the website womeninCSpodcast.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss out of the following episodes. Have a great day and talk to you soon. Music